the name of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Amen. May be seated. And good morning. Well, as those of you who are here regularly know, Dr. Henry is in the midst of a, a terrific series on spiritual transformation. And this sermon is not a part of that series, uh, but it very much speaks to what God is up to in, in growing us up as, as Christians. Specifically, Henry spoke last Sunday about how God uses the ordinary, everyday events of life to transform our character, the inner us, the real us, into the very character and likeness of Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, this morning I want us to consider uh, this morning's gospel reading as we just heard from Luke's gospel, uh, the transfiguration of Jesus and what it says about our own transformations. Americans have a very long tradition of adoring our celebrities. Indeed, worshiping them. Uh, we, we, we carry it a little too far. I'm not sure if other cultures do that or not. TV and movie stars, singers, sports figures, and even those who, it, it seems to me, are just famous for being famous. I don't understand that at all, do you? But I expect that all of us are just a little bit starstruck, if we're honest with ourselves, especially when it comes to the prospect of perhaps actually meeting and confronting some of these people. Um, I got to do that about four and a half years ago. I get, got to meet a guy named uh, Billy Bob Thornton. That's, uh, that, is, that is not a Photoshop deal. That is actually a real photograph of, of me and Billy Bob. He was in town about four and a half years ago to direct a picture. And I got, uh, got to go on a set and watch him di actually direct a scene, hang out with him a bit, and talk to the other people make the movies. It was, it was uh, really, really was a lot of fun. Robert Duvall was also in this picture. Ah, now that's who I really wanted to meet. But don't tell Billy I said that. I wouldn't want him to get his feelings hurt, you know. But, but uh, uh, he finished filming the day before. So I missed him just by one day. I still haven't gotten over that. <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you a lot more why I, I say that later on. Well, our gospel reading today tells us about a meeting that Peter and James and John, that sort of inner circle of, of the disciples had that they would never forget either. Jesus asked them to join him in a secluded mountain spot for just a little short prayer retreat, as it were. And as time went on, they became overcome with sleep. That never happens to you when you pray, does it? Never, never nod off. No, I've, of course not. It's really not a terrible way to go to sleep. I'm not suggesting you use that as a uh, remedy for sleeplessness, but it's, there are worse things than fall asleep while you're praying. Well, anyway, they go off to this, this secluded mountaintop, and they awaken to discover that Jesus' appearance has drastically changed. And not only that, but he was talking to Moses, the lawgiver, the leader of the Exodus, from the land of Egypt, and also Elijah, who was the boldest and the bravest and the mightiest of all the prophets of Israel. Talk about starstruck. My goodness, that's the last thing they expected to see. And, and no one saw it coming. It's, it's enough to render anyone speechless, right? Anyone except Simon Peter. <laughs> And, and I, I, can't, I can't throw stones. I've, I've never been at a loss for words either, as my wife will, will attest. Uh, I, I get the impression from Matthew and Mark's reading of this, not so much from Luke's, that he actually interrupted Jesus and Elijah and Moses. And I thought to myself, shades, shades of uh, Lester Holt 
<laughs> only he only got to interrupt them once because the very next thing that happens is the rest of the Trinity shows up, right? The Holy Spirit comes in this cloud. And again, I, I, I like to use my imagination with these things. And I, you know, they could, I could be wrong, but, uh, but I still like to imagine. Imagine this is a thick cloud. I mean, like can't see your hand in front of your face. Talk about frightening. Matthew's account says not just that they were afraid, it says they were terrified. And, and again, I rather imagine them you know, shouting at Peter through the fog, thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, you did it again. And then, and then God the Father shows up in the voice. And you think they were scared with the cloud. God the Father shows up. And again, using my imagination, speaking of movie stars, I couldn't help but hear this in the voice of James Earl Jones, right? <laughs> you know, not saying this is CNN, you know, but he's saying, this is my son, the one I love, listen to him. And again, they just fall apart. I mean, what's next? But then suddenly, it all goes away. Suddenly, everything is, is back to normal. And it's, it's such a bizarre, interesting event. But Luke's account says they, they told no one. I mean, can you blame them? I mean, who would have believed it, right? But they told no one, in Matthew and Mark's accounts, though, what we read is that Jesus charged them, the, the Scripture says. That means he specifically ordered them, tell no one about this until the Son of Man rises from the dead. That's how we know about it today, of course. Well, that further confused them, and, and of course, they had to have that discussion. So, what does all this have to do with your transformation and my transformation into Christ's image? Well, you've got some notes there uh, in your, in your fold-out, your, your bulletin. So, if you want to follow along, that would be a good thing or, or not. But that may help you. Four things I want to share with you this morning. First has to do with Jesus' departure. And that's an interesting way to put it, isn't it? And it's even more so when you realize that the Greek word that Luke uses here is only found three times in the entire New Testament. It's the Greek word exodus, from which we get our word exodus, right? It literally means a going out, a departing. And it's a very important clue to us as to what the meaning of Jesus' departure, his death, is really all about. Because the exodus, God's deliverance of his people from slavery in Egypt and his leading them through Moses to the promised land is the defining event in the life of the history of the nation of Israel. So much so that God is constantly reminding them, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, who delivered you from the house of bondage. And what's more, that event is a living parable of what Jesus came to do, not only for them, but for us as well, through his death for our sins and through his resurrection. Remember Jesus' opening words at his uh, sort of inauguration when he began his public ministry? He was asked to read from the scroll. And he picks up the scroll and he reads from the Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news. And among those, that good news, he says, to set the captives free. That's what Jesus came to do. J.I. Packer says this of Jesus' exodus. He says, this was not just a way of leaving this world, but also a way of redeeming his people, just as the exodus from Egypt that Moses led was to redeem Israel from bondage. 
And that's what Moses and Elijah were there to discuss with Jesus. They were conferring about Jesus' departure, about his upcoming death, which would be another exodus, would release the people from the bondage of sin. Sin not just incurs a penalty for us, it does that. And we are saved from that penalty. We call that justification, as Henry has been teaching us in, in the outline that he's been using. But sin also has power. Sin has power to control us and to ruin us and to ruin the lives of those around us. And Jesus also came to deliver us from all of that as well. Well, you can't depart. You can't leave one place without going to another, can you? So let's think for a moment about Jesus' arrival. If Jesus is departing, where is he going? Well, Luke tells us in his sequel to the Gospel of Luke, also known as the Book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostle in chapter 1, he tells us about the ascension of Christ, that Christ is going to ascend back to the Father, and it's something we affirm every Sunday, isn't it, using the words of the Nicene Creed. Jesus spoke of that next leg of his journey, his ascension to Mary Magdalene, that first Easter, there by what used to be his grave. You remember what he said to her? He said, go to my brothers. That's interesting, isn't it? Not go to my disciples, go to, the apost- go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father. I'm ascending to my God and your God. The message is pretty plain, isn't it? Because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, those who believe in him and those who follow him know God as Father in the same way that Jesus did. They know him as Father, and that means that we're family as well. And that just, that just speaks volumes to us about how we live this thing called the Christian life and how God is transforming us. And he does it largely through one another. And it just kind of... Uh, Andy spoke of this the other night at choir. He, he spoke of this so powerfully and eloquently. I wish I could just, you know, should have, I should have recorded it. But we, we talked about it later, and I said, you know, it's just stuff that just rubs off when you're around your brothers and sisters in Christ. Good things just, just rub off, and you, you don't even realize that sometimes that God is using those things to transform us. And, that, and I love that passage in Ephesians where, where Paul speaks of the family of God. He speaks of the family on earth and in heaven. Some of the family's gone on before us, haven't they? Yes, indeed. And we're still here, but it's one family. And then thirdly, these words in Luke speak about our own departure and our own arrival. You know, John Wesley said of those early Methodists of his day, he said, our folks die well. I like that. Well, we should. As believers, we should die well, if anyone should. As believers in Christ, our own death is a departure, and it is an arrival as well. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So when we leave, when we depart, we're just departing this body, and they're not much good anyway, are they? (laughs) The older we get... (laughs) Paul and I were talking about that as we were standing in line. You know, they shrink, stuff starts falling apart. You know, gravity, gravity, it just, it just gets us all. Well, Peter himself in today's epistle reading uses the same word, exodus, 
second of the three uses of this in Scripture, in 2 Peter 3, of his own death, when he says, I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. He refers to his own death as a departure. And this is a part of the gospel. This is part and parcel of the gospel that Christ, our elder brother, has gone on before us and that we will be transformed into the very image and likeness of Christ. But that is a transformation that's already in progress. And you and I need to remember that, by the way, about each other. We're works in progress, right? I hope you're a work in progress. If you're not, well, you've really got a problem. But we're all works in progress and we're all at different places. So keep that in mind. Paul said to the Philippians, I, he could say this about all of them. He said, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. When Christ comes back, he's going to bring it all together. Likewise, John says, behold, what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. It's exactly what we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children, and, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Beloved, this is our final destination. This is our, our destiny. And so my, my question to you this morning is just simply this then. I mean, is this how you view your life? Do you view your life as just this brief time on earth? this very brief time on earth, but that you have an eternity, an eternal destiny before you. And, and immediately, I, there may be some here who think, okay, yeah, here comes the pie in the sky kind of thing, right? No, no, no. I'm not talking about pie in the sky. I'm talking about the ultimate reality. If these things are true, that is more real than this world we create around us full of fake happy people and celebrities and all the phoniness. How many of you have been to Hollywood? How many of you have been to Hollywood, California, Southern California? You know why they call it Tinseltown, don't you? It really is. I mean, no disrespect, but that's not the real world, folks, in case you haven't, haven't figured that out by now. No, this is the real world that God speaks of, the future that we have, our destiny. And St. Paul says this, so we do not lose heart. Talk about somebody who lived in the real world. We do not lose heart, though the outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day after day, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. And there's no denial here either. No, he's not saying we ignore these things. He just says we don't focus. We don't, we don't look on the things that are seen. You know why? They're transient. They're not lasting anyway. But we look at the things that are unseen, which are eternal. And again, it means always keeping before us the fact of the ultimate reality, namely our own glorious and eternal destiny. That ought to be, that ought to be the first thing. Luther, it was said of Luther when he, when he got up every morning, the first thing he did was his feet hit the ground, he made the sign of the cross, and he said, I'm a baptized man. I'm a baptized man. And, and he was a sacramentalist. He believed, he believed that baptism really did something. And that is what got him going in the mornings, the fact that he knew who he was and he knew where he's headed. Fourthly and finally, all this has to do with how we live in the meantime. 
in this in-between time, between our justification and our glorification, this time that we have in between. And it's how we live in the mean times as well. The times can be pretty mean, right? Let's go back to the transfiguration for a minute. Peter's bright idea that he had was to build these three little shelters. Uh, I, I don't know what he, how, what he was going to use or anything. Who knows? One for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. You know, I'm thinking, he's thinking, well, this is great. Let's just, let's just stick around here for a while. Let's just camp out for a while. He was in no hurry to get back to Rome and occupied Palestine, and you can't really blame him. But you know, he was right to be in awe of, of what he saw there. He, he was quite right to be starstruck, if you will, in the presence of such glory and beauty and majesty. He didn't want it to end. But then the Father speaks, and the Father points them to Jesus. And he points us to Jesus as well. And suddenly, just as suddenly as it came, the cloud is gone, and it's just them and Jesus. No more glowing face, no more dazzling white clothes. And they walk down the mountain, and Jesus speaks to them of the Son of Man rising from the dead because he's looking for another mountain. Not really a mountain, more of a kind of a crummy little hill actually called Calvary, Golgotha, the place of the skull. And you know what happened there, right? That's the place where routinely Roman soldiers tortured and executed by crucifixion the worst of the criminals. And in Matthew's account, we read this, that six days, just six days before the transfiguration, Jesus tells his disciples this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Because that's how, ex how those who got executed did it. They were forced to carry their own cross. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Heaven, someday, yes. Yes, indeed, thank God. But not just heaven someday, it's about finding life here, real living in the nasty here and now, living above it. That's what it's about. And again, that, that diagram that Henry has used, our, our, our justification is, is in the past. We are justified. We've been declared righteous by the judge of the universe. Our glorification is certain. One day we will be like Jesus. And in between time, in the meantime, in the mean times, we're experiencing this thing called sanctification. And it's not always fun. But you know what? It's good. It's all good. God is doing something important in your life. He's transforming you into the very image of Christ. So Peter was right to, to want to stay and bask in the glory and the presence of Jesus and those ancient saints, but we can't camp out there. Not yet. We have to go with the Savior. And you know how often we have to do that? Paul said, I die daily. <laughs> we have to go to the cross every day. We follow Jesus to the cross every single day where we are being transformed. The old us dies off and we're being transformed into the very image of of Jesus, and please note this as well. But what we're talking about here is you and me becoming fully human, okay? We're not talking about us becoming some, something weird or otherworldly or you know, walking around with a halo over our head or something strange. No, we're talking about us becoming what we were meant to be in the first place, what God created us to be. For it is sin that not only puts us in bondage, but it ruins those around us. All those horrible qualities that, that, that God is taking those works of the flesh, as he calls them in Galatians, and putting in their place the fruit of the Spirit. Well, our Old Testament lesson, very quickly. 
speaks of, of Moses, who went in the brightness of God's presence, received the law up there on Sinai. He returned with what I heard years ago, and I don't remember where, what I heard referred to as a heavenly sunburn. <laughs> you ever heard that phrase? I don't remember where I heard it. Where, where he came down and his face was so aglow that people couldn't even bear to look at it. They just said, ah. You know, and, and so he had to put a veil over his faith, face. Uh, to cover it up. And Paul picks up on that theme in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and he says this, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And it's interesting that that word that uses transformed is the same words as Luke uses for transfiguration. And you know what the word is? It's a Greek word called metamorphosis from which we get our English word, metamorphosis, right? See, you learned a lot today about Greek. And if you know that word metamorphosis, you usually think of it in terms of what? Butterflies. That's how most of us learn that word, that process by which, you know, a slimy egg on a leaf becomes a, a caterpillar, just a fat worm, and, and somehow from the inside out becomes this beautiful creature, this pretty, light, flying, gorgeous thing that we call butterflies. Some of us are old enough to remember the Gaithers, right? I heard them back in the 70s for the first time. They made some great music, didn't they? And one of their songs, I always love this song, Something Beautiful, Something Good, All My Confusion He Understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful of my life. He changes us from the inside out. Now I'm going to tell you in closing why I wanted to meet Robert Duvall. I just wanted to shake his hand and say thank you for Tender Mercies. How many of you have seen that movie? Not enough of you. Andy, where are you? Have you seen that movie? You have. Wonder. All right. You need to see that movie. It's about, it's released in 1983, it's about a country singer named Max Sledge. That's a great name for a country singer, isn't it? It sounds like a country singer. And he's, he's not just an ordinary country singer, no. He's a washed up, mean, bitter, alcoholic, has-been of a country singer who finds himself in a little dumpy roadside motel run by a widow and her young son. And he somehow starts to put his life back together. He starts to become, by the grace of God, what we're supposed to be, a human being again. It's a, it's a beautiful story. I love the baptism scene in the movie, and I'm, it's not a spoiler alert thing. I mean, there's, I'm just telling you, okay, so don't get mad at me. Uh, <laughs> the baptism scene, his, his young stepson gets baptized at church one day, and you don't see it coming, well, you'll see it coming now, I'm sorry, but, but, but in, the, in the next, next minute, you know, the curtain closes and it opens, and there's Max Sledge. Mac is getting baptized as well. You think, ah, oh, wow. On the way home in, in the pickup truck, they're riding, and, and his young stepson says, well, we're baptized. Yep. He said, do you feel any different? I don't feel any different. Do you? Mac says, no, no I really don't. He says, do I look different? He said, no, he looks at himself in the rearview mirror, so I don't look any different. But you see, you and I know that now things are already starting to be different. They already are changing, indeed. And the, the key scene in the entire movie, and then I'll 
let you see the rest for yourself. Very short little scene. He's loading some supplies in the back of his pickup truck, and a lady walking down the sidewalk in town stops him and says, were you really Max Sledge? <laughs> were you really Max Sledge? And, and the look on his face, it's wonderful, the look on his face is his smile, and he sees the irony. He sees that even though this woman misspoke, she's speaking more truth than she even knows. Because he thinks about it and he says, yes, ma'am, I guess I was. Finding out what real living is all about and what it's not all about. It wasn't about the fame and the fortune and the money and all that stuff. And yet he finds himself becoming more human than he ever knew that he could be. That little roadside, and I learned something new about this movie too. That little roadside hotel that his new wife ran. It's kind of a little dumpy little place. You know what it's called? Anybody remember what it's called? It's called the Mariposa. You know what that's Spanish for? How many of you know? Butterfly. Butterfly. Coincidence? Nah, I don't much think so. Pray with me. Father in heaven, you are the mighty God who created the heavens and the earth. But Lord, the mightiest thing I think that you do is the work that you do in the hearts and lives of wayward sinners like Max Sledge and every last one of us that you can take something ugly, something not good, and you can change us, and you do. And I thank you for that good work that you're doing so many here. And Father, maybe there's one here this morning that's a stranger to that, and I, and I pray that if that's the case, that they would turn to you as the one who will take us as we are, take us where we are, and begin to do something wonderful in our lives as well. And Father, wherever we are in that process, may we not give up the fight. May we continue to press on each and every day, becoming more and more like Jesus and letting you do the good work that you started in us one day long ago. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.